the first sorrowful mystery, the agony in the garden. We offer this for peace in Ukraine and Russia. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. O my Jesus, forgive us our sins, save us from the fires of hell. Lead all souls to heaven, especially those in most need of thy mercy. O sacrament most holy, O sacrament divine, all praise and all thanksgiving be every moment thine. This is from the Gospel of John. Jesus said to his disciples, I will not leave you desolate. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not the Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, 
If a man loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home within him. The Gospel of the Lord. Now, I think that each one of you should be feel entirely free to get up and to go to confession. There are two priests hearing confessions right now, and there's possibly a third one if we need it. But there are two priests hearing confessions right now, three priests hearing confessions right now in the back over here. So we're very, very grateful. And there's a fourth, Father Roderick. So do not be shy. Today, we want to continue to ponder and to meditate on the presence of God around us and today in an extraordinary way within us under the close gaze of our Lord Jesus Christ here in the blessed sacrament of the altar. To look into the eyes of Jesus is to look into the eyes of the Father, to give him permission to to move one step closer, one step deeper, into the mystery of his sacred presence, to allow his life to permeate and to dwell not only here in this church, but also in our hearts, in the hearts of fathers, in the hearts of mothers, in the hearts of children by grace and by love. We know that in that everything God, in everything God works for the good for those who love him. For the family that is under the lordship of Jesus Christ, it is possible for any difficulty to be placed, to be, to be faced. Isn't that true? Any difficulty can be faced if the Lord is with that family. I want to share with you a few stories now so that you might see that God is present in the tabernacle also of your heart. We know that he's present here in a most extraordinary way in the gift of the Holy Eucharist, but he's also present in our heart. And this, dif- and this difference, this presence makes all the difference in our family life. The real presence of the living and true God in the Holy Eucharist was not always a part of my own life, I regret to say. I grew up, of course, here in Colorado, went to nativity school. I was a server, but for whatever reason, I never really fully understood it, you know, even though nativity was a great experience. Um, I went off to Colorado State University, to Fort Collins. I joined a fraternity, and I had an overly active social life. I was materialistic. I worshipped the Almighty Trinity, me, myself, and I. Life was all about me and less about everybody else. It was selfish. It was inward gazing, right? This happens to most of us at some point in our lives until we wake up. Again, just a reminder that Father Roderick's right behind me, ready to hear your confession. You should feel free to get up during any time during this talk, and you'll still be able to listen to it. My second year of college, my mom became ill with cancer. She had various surgeries, and then finally she had a massive surgery uh, that was to follow uh, with an experimental surgery that lasted many hours. 
my life, my inward selfish life was turned upside down. She recovered for a while after the surgery, but the whole ordeal was something like a nightmare to my family. We just, just overwhelming. I was not ready for my mother to die. Finally, I remember the day the doctors told us that she did not have much time and all of us were unprepared for this news. It was absolutely devastating. My siblings and I, but for my siblings and I, but perhaps because I was drifting from my faith, I had no orientation to the presence of God in my life. Without God, life's challenges seem all the worse, don't they? Without the Lord, what happens? We brought her home on hospice and I dropped out of college. I left the, fr the fraternity house and everything was vulnerable in my life. For the first time I was suffering, for the first time my family was suffering together. I remember we prayed the rosary around her bed with my siblings and my father. And after we prayed, well, there was not much else to do. We just waited. Eventually she began to fade in and out of consciousness. And we did have some amazing conversations with her at that time. Um, uh, yeah, which I won't go into here, but they're pretty, pretty amazing. Um, and our priest from Nativity at that time, he did come and he gave my, my mother the sacrament of the anointing of the sick. And I don't think any of us knew what that meant, except that we knew that the end was near. And then about two weeks after we brought her home, she began to breathe faster and faster. We prayed the rosary again and again. And then she began to breathe slower and slower until finally she stopped breathing. It was finished. Now we all gathered with arms around each other and we cried and my mother had finished her earthly life. After her death, since, since I was the youngest of five children, I decided to stay home from college to spend more time with my father. He was entirely distraught. I almost felt I needed to be home with him because for that reason, because, because he, you know, I also needed time away from college and I needed to, time to, to, to change gears in my life. And my father took my brothers, my brother and I, my brother Mike Kroll, who teaches at Brookfield High School, and I on a pilgrimage to a remote Marian shrine in Eastern Europe. You can probably guess what that shrine is. There was nothing to do there but pray. There was nothing to do. I thought, hey, a trip to Europe, you know? What the heck, you know? I had, we had no idea. I mean, we had some idea, obviously, but because it was, I remember it was the Novaks that told us about, about Medjugorje at that time. There was nothing to do there but to pray, and pray we did. Upon returning, my father and I continued to pray the rosary and my brother, Mike, and eventually we started to see the importance of attending daily mass. And it was then that I learned back when my father was in university at Iowa State in Ames, Iowa, he would drive every morning at 625 from his Catholic fraternity house to pick up my mother from her sorority house and they would attend the 630 daily mass. At the, at the Newman Center at Iowa State. My college was a little different from my father's. <laughs> but what comes around goes around. And because I had time to begin a more serious look at what I had as a Catholic together with my father, it was a time of grace for me when I came home from college. 
And behind the scenes, our Blessed Mother was working in my heart, setting me up for an authentic conversion. Our Heavenly Mother now had become a particular intercessor and mother to me since my earthly mother had been taken from this world. And how powerful that our Catholic faith taught us that we knew we would see my mother again. What consolation we have as Catholics. And to imagine that there are some people today, they don't even give their relatives a Catholic burial. And their, their relatives are Catholic. Funeral, Catholic funerals are so important. The Mass celebrated for the, for the deceased, it's so important. So do not underestimate the power, the infinite power of the Mass, the sacrifice of the Mass. Now the rosary had become my consolation. Our lady, our lady took me by the hand and she gently helped me to wake up to the sinfulness and the lukewarmness of my own life. If my mother could die at age 50, I'm 54 right now, by the way, was that what, 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 what was to become of my life? What if I were to die? Did my, did my life have any purpose? Why would God allow this to happen? That was a question also that most people have. I was angry also. Why did this have to happen? The normal things that we go through when we mourn someone. But I began to read what we actually believe as Catholics. I devoured the lives of the saints, and in particular their writings about the Blessed Virgin Mary and how powerful a mother she is, and how when we pray, we unite our prayers to hers, and she makes our prayers, lacking as they may be, to be simple and beautiful in the eyes of God. I was surprised that much of what I read, it seemed as though I had never really heard any of it before. It was so rich, so beautiful, so moving. When I intellectually began to engage with my Catholic faith, it's amazing what you discover. Then I realized more from the writings of the saints that confession had to be a part of my life. And I was like, at that time I began to form my conscience, um, really for the first time, and I began to examine my life with a good examination of conscience, which I found in the back of some church somewhere. I don't know where I found it. The kind that we're passing out here to prepare you to go to confession, right? I had never seen one of those before. And it began, I began to go to confession once a month. It's a good measure of how much we should go to confession at a minimum, right? Now, don't be, we don't want to be scrupulous, but as a general situation, especially for young people, I think, you know, married couples, it's a generally a good measure, so to speak, at least once a month. My brothers and sisters, if you start to go to confession, the Lord will take the haze from your vision when you start to regularly avail yourself to the sacrament things begin to look very differently in your life. It's a real gradual process. It happens. As a priest, I've also seen it. Now, let me tell you, when young people are dealing with today, the incredible problems that young people see on the internet, I tell families, go to confession once a month. And frankly, you must have absolute control of what your little ones in your house are looking at on the internet, right? The one who goes to confession, that person finds a greater sense of God in his life. 
When I began to go to confession, there began immediate spiritual growth and the realization of God in my soul. Confession gives a person that spiritual edge on life. There's a greater sense of God comes into your life. Then there was the clincher for me when I was in college. I stumbled upon the church's teaching about Jesus in the gift of the Holy Eucharist. Somehow going to confession on a regular basis opened this door for me. I began to understand how he is truly present. And as the Gospel of John chapter 6 tells us, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will not have life within you. And the bread that I will give you is my flesh for the life of the world. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. I had discovered what I always had. I had discovered the real presence of Jesus. Why did it take that long? Why was it that I've been in Catholic schools? I used to be a server in nativity here. I used to genuflect when the priest genuflected, but I never, you know, you just never really quite got it. But I remember one night in my room, though, after, you know, my mother had died, I remember kneeling on the floor and praying the rosary with my door shut. And now, if I, when I look back on this, this, was, this itself was like a miracle that I was actually praying the rosary in my room with my door shut. Um, but it was like, the rosary was like the consolation after, after, after my mother had died, you know? And then out of nowhere, a sense came over me, and I believe it was the Blessed Mother. She was drawing my heart, inclining it to good and holy things, holy desires. The Spirit was giving me a deep desire to be close to Jesus in the Eucharist. And then while I was praying the rosary in my room, <laughs> out of nowhere, I imagined myself being close to Jesus. And then I imagined myself at the altar. Holy smoke. Our Lord gave me for the first time in my life a realization of his real presence. So profound was it that I was ready to leave everything behind and enter seminary. And I remember the first person I told was Father Mike Glenn, who also was from in this parish. He's the first person I talked to. Um, I didn't tell my father. I didn't tell anybody. Um, but I ended up having to go back to CSU for one more semester. And uh, I ended up then applying to seminary, but I simultaneously, and my eyes were opened. Now, I had already at that time began to check out of a bankrupt college culture. You know, life at CSU was not what it was cracked up to be. Suddenly my eyes were opened. But I had committed to living back in the fraternity house one more semester. And then in a pretty amazing way, I literally went at semester from a fraternity house with 60, 60 guys to a seminary with 80 seminarians run by Benedictine monks in Northwest Missouri. It was the best decision and the biggest shock of my life. Finally, in diocesan seminary, I could weave together my studies with a real consideration of growing in God's grace, his love, and his mercy. And later, I considered religious life because of the example of the monks who ran the seminary. And because of the rosary and the Blessed Mother, I went to the Dominicans because St. Dominic received the rosary from the Blessed Virgin Mary, the tradition tells us. I've been vocation director for eight years on the East Coast. We had 100 men enter our novitiate in eight years. 
We had 800 men come on, come on our, our vocation weekends at the Dominican House of Studies in Washington, D.C. And now I'm in Rome, and the, the blessings continue to happen. Now, it's not about me. God has allowed this to happen. And my little secret weapon is I talk all the time with the cloistered Dominican nuns. There's 20 monasteries in the United States. I, I send information to them all the time. And we just sent our first mailing to every cloistered Dominican monastery in the entire world to ask them to pray for our efforts at the Angelicum. There's 193 monasteries around the world. So the power of prayer is the reason we've been so successful. I've been a priest now for 24 years and a Dominican for 30 years. If I were to die tomorrow, I've had the most blessed life. The Lord has touched so many hearts through the gift of my priestly ministry. The Lord led me on this journey, and with the grace of God within, I was able to respond to my vocation as he leads all of us on a journey. Each and every one of us are on a journey. But the Lord was not done with me, and I dare say he's not done with you either. Because you see, there's yet another profound teaching of God's presence that he wished to show me and to show you. In the gospel we just heard, Jesus promises, I will not leave you desolate. I will come to you. Confession for me opened the door to the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist here before us. And my brothers and sisters, his Eucharistic presence here actually grows and nourishes what the church calls the divine indwelling. The divine indwelling of God within us. His holy presence in our hearts by grace. This is the bread which comes down from heaven so that anyone who eats it, he will live forever. The Eucharist then nourishes us for the sake of loving the presence of God within us. The kingdom of God is within you, Jesus tells us. St. Paul says, God wanted to make known to the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so what is the divine indwelling? Each one of us has within us a kind of sanctuary by grace. It's a sanctuary. And the fathers of the church talked about this so beautifully. They would talk about the ways that a church is constructed. And they would say that the church reflects the soul. Like the narthex, where people come and go, that, was, that, that concerned kind of, you know, the things that come and go, such as emotions. And then you've got more, more parts where people come together, then you've got the presence of God. So the soul is kind of an image of a church, you know, it's beautiful. So, each one of us has within us a kind of sanctuary by grace. And if you're in a state of grace, you receive the Lord Jesus by faith. You welcome him by faith. The Lord lives in your soul. St. Paul tells us the love of the Lord has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And what does the Holy Spirit do in our hearts? He makes present also the Father and the Son and that's why Jesus says, if you, love my, if you love my father, we will come and make our dwelling, home, our dwelling place a home in you. It's the presence of God within you. My brothers and sisters, it's a most amazing teaching of our Catholic faith. 
in addition to the real presence of Christ in the Holy Eucharist, the living and true God dwells in our souls as guest. It's an official teaching of the church that anyone baptized, living in a state of grace, that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit dwells in his or her, her soul, in his or her own spirit. That means that everyone who's baptized is something like a walking, talking tabernacle. You ever thought about that? The presence of God is, is, is within each one of us. And you recall when you were little kids, what did your mother, your grandmother say to you? Jesus is within you. Remember that. Jesus is inside of you. You know, how true that is and how quickly we've forgotten it. It is so important. Do you believe that about yourself? Do you accept that God is within you? It's not easy to accept it sometimes. It's like me, uh, you know. But amazingly enough, one of the situations that we've seen on university campuses, especially our work with Focus, it, there's, I told you there's one year that we spent, we, we, Father James Brent and I from Washington, we, we visited 30 college campuses in one, in, in one year. One of the things that we've seen on college campuses is the poor self-worth that many college students have of themselves. Somehow, some way, because of their families, the sense that they are precious in God's eyes, made to love and to be loved, that's simply not part of their lives. What a gift it has been for us, for our Dominicans, to tell a person in the confessional that they are precious in God's eyes, made to love and to be loved. We need to hear that over and over. And so I ask each one of you here today, this morning, are you willing to turn, turn inward to your inward depths and tell the Lord, I believe that you dwell within my soul, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I believe you are within me. And that beautiful prayer of the Blessed Mother that the Blessed Mother taught the children in Fatima, Most Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I adore you profoundly. It's a beautiful prayer. We should thank God for dwelling in our souls. Do you praise God for dwelling in your own soul? Father, I praise you and I thank you for living in my heart. Jesus, thank you for living within me. Do we believe and thank and acknowledge his presence within us? Isn't it true that we often neglect this profound place where God dwells? When the Lord is there, we are called to be present to him as he is present to us. And this, my brothers and sisters, this happens anywhere that we find ourselves, even when we are not in the church. There's a, there's a deceased Irish Dominican by the name of Father Anselm Moynihan who wrote a little section which captures this beautiful image. And I'll, we'll send this to the parish also. If you're on Flocknote or if you signed up for our Eventbrite, we'll send this book to you in this passage so that you can meditate upon it again. But it's just so beautiful. And this is what Father Moynihan says. There is a point, however, worth bearing in mind if I personally fail to honor our Lord in the blessed sacrament, he will not remain without honor there because there are other faithful Catholics who will give him the honor that is due to his presence and so compensate to some extent for my negligence. But if I fail to honor the Son of God as he is present with the Father and the Holy Spirit 
in the tabernacle of my own heart. No man can compensate for my indifference. The inner sanctuary of my own heart is utterly and eternally inaccessible to any except myself and God. And if I'm in a state of grace, God is really present there in a most profound silence and solitude. None but myself can hope to penetrate into that inmost sanctuary to do him honor and to hold converse with him. It is quite possible that, in fact, I've never really penetrated there. There are many people, dare we say most, who have never withdrawn themselves from the distractions of the senses to enter into the sacred shrine of the soul where they can be alone with God. And yet, without devotion to the real presence of God within our souls, there can be no full development of our spiritual life which is essentially an interior life. Let it be plainly understood that we cannot return to God unless we first enter into ourselves. God is everywhere, but not everywhere to us. There is but one point in the universe where God communicates with us, and that is in the center of our own soul. There he waits for us. There he meets us. There he speaks to us. Beautiful words. God is everywhere, but not everywhere to us. In the center of our own soul, he waits for us. To see him, we must enter into this interior life. Now I want to share with you how we enter into and relate to the presence of God within us by grace. There's three, three simple ways to do that. The first is to, we have to defend the inner sanctuary of our soul. Yes, we lock the church of nativity at night. The church is not wide open all night. Okay, we have to defend the sanctuary. We do that by locks. We do that by, by security, by an alarm possibly. But we have to defend, there are many suggestions of evil around us, right? Especially by the, by the media, which is what we have to take it, we have to be careful we take in. The eyes are the windows to the soul, right? And the inner sanctuary, the inner sanctuary, at least of our soul, is always under siege, okay? There's always something kind of grabbing us, trying to distract us. First Peter chapter two says, resist those natural appetites which besiege the soul. There's also original sin which leads us astray, right? In other words, we have to fight evil inclinations of our life. We must fight against sin, especially deadly sin, because it destroys the sanctuary completely, leaving it desolate. We have to root out sin from our lives and confession is the way to do that. And less serious sin, while it does not destroy the sanctuary of God and the soul, it does involve a certain pollution of the temple, right? A dirtying of the temple, so to speak. The remedy for all of this, confession. So defend the sanctuary of your soul. Defend it. Do not open it up to everything. The second, adorn the inner sanctuary with noble thoughts. Philippians chapter 8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. 
St. Paul tells us. Let your own interior life be filled with what you know is good and true. Do not cave in to things around us that are not going to help you. In the same way that we put flowers in the sanctuary, right? Now, normally during Lent, we don't put flowers in, but because during we have the mission, we got the Blessed Mother, we got St. Joseph, we're going to be anointing people with the oil of St. Joseph tomorrow. We have flowers in the sanctuary. We, we adorn the sanctuary with flowers, with, to adorn the sanctuary with noble thoughts. And so the sanctuary of your soul is filled with beautiful, holy things. That is what occupies your mind. So the first, defend the sanctuary of your soul. The second, adorn the sanctuary with beautiful thoughts, especially thoughts about God. Read the scripture, right? Engage the mind. And the third way to live in the presence of God within our soul is to enter frequently into the tabernacle of your soul, into the heart. Enter frequently. Lord, I believe in you. I hope in you. You know? Doesn't it be a huge conversation? It be something simple as, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord, thank you for this. Lord, you know, I love you. Lord, thank you. You know, something as simple as that. And if we do this, then after time, the presence of God begins to permeate our lives and we are transformed. Father Moynihan gives a little insight, which I just think is just absolutely amazing. All of us have a little problem when we're, you know, moving throughout the day, we begin to start having this conversation with ourselves, right? And the conversation is usually with ourselves. It's usually about ourselves. And it's usually very boring. Okay? Now, Moynihan says that that condition, that, 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 that kind of, you know, where we always have this little conversation, oh, I'm hungry now. What am I going to have for dinner? I don't know. You know what? No, maybe I want that. I don't want that. I don't want to talk to that person. No, no, you know, whatever, you know, whatever the case is. He's, Moynihan says that that is a result of original sin. It's an effect of original sin. That conversation that we have with ourselves, about ourselves, that's very boring. That's an effect of original sin. The more that we enter into the sanctuary of our soul, we practice the presence of God. We enter into the sanctuary. We have these little conversations with God throughout the day. The conversation, the conversation with yourself about yourself slowly but surely begins to be transformed successively into a conversation with God slowly. And that's how, again, and it's a battle. Believe me, it's a battle to do it. When members of a family realize the divine indwelling is present, it works like a leaven in the family. If the Lord is present, it will flood the lives of those family members and it will spread to other family members. The presence of God in the soul of any member of the family gives a new perspective to the particular challenges families face. If God is with us, a sense of childlike trust and humility grows in your heart. When members of a family are in turmoil, that turmoil spreads. But when the peace of God reigns, that also spreads to everyone. Light overcomes darkness. And so if we need the healing of, so we need the healing of Jesus Christ. 
I'm sure that each of you have had the experience of meeting particular families or particular people who sort of exude this love of God in their lives. Somehow they've managed to keep the Lord at the center of their lives. Do not give up. God is at work. In a secularized society where many refuse to acknowledge God, you and I, then in some way, it is our mission to carry the fact that God is with us. The remedy of the absence of God and the remedy to loneliness is to know that God is with us. And so, my brothers and sisters, let the love of the Lord dwell in your lives by grace and prayer, especially in a most efficacious way, the power of the family rosary. You know, and you may say, ah, you know, my, my children are already gone. They're not going to Mass anymore. Well, guess what? Your prayers as parents, grandparents for your children are very powerful. Do not underestimate your, your, your prayers. You put your children right into the hands of the Blessed Virgin Mary. You stick them right there. The, the, all the ones you're worried about, whether it's your children, your spouse, whatever the case is, put them into the hands of the Blessed Virgin Mary. When you pray the rosary, imagine the rosary going all the way around them. God has a plan. You may be the only lifeline to your family. Trust that God is at work. The Blessed Mother's prayers are powerful. You know, many are worried about their kids, their grandkids, but do not underestimate the power of your prayers, especially when you've got the rosary in your hands. God is doing this. So much does he love you. He will never abandon you. He will never abandon your family. Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, If a man loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will love him and make our home within him. Let us pray. Almighty and ever-living God, we thank you for drawing us together in the presence of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and the gift of this Holy Eucharist. We ask you, please, to continue to please pour forth the Holy Spirit into our hearts and to make present yourself and your son, Jesus Christ, and the whole triune life of God to continue to work in us, to work through us, and to transform each one of us into men and women who go throughout life with a deep awareness of your presence in our midst, in our hearts, and in our world. Lord, we beg you to bring healing to the families of this parish. We beg you to pour out your heavenly blessing on marriages and on families. And we ask all of this through Jesus Christ, our Lord.